Hello and welcome to another Scott Swahey podcast in which um, I'll be chatting to the writer J. David Simons um, initially about his latest novel, A Woman of Integrity but also about his previous work, um, a Glasgow to Galilee trilogy and one of my favourite novels, An Exquisite Sense of What is Beautiful. Um, We also talk about um, the state of publishing at the moment and the difficulties in not only getting your book published but then subsequently promoted. Um, And we look at David's um, fascinating life so far. He's a man who's done uh, many different things. Um, We also, for a change, have some questions from my mum, who's also a big fan of um, David's writing and particularly of a woman of integrity and she was just um, dying for me to ask a question on uh, her behalf. Um, something we forgot to mention and, and meant to was a an initiative by the Scottish Book Trust which David is involved in um, called Bookfellas. Um, it is raising uh, money to promote getting more men uh, reading and particularly dads reading to their children and you can learn more about it by going to um, Scottish Book Trusts forward slash um, bookfellas um, where you'll see some of the people involved, some of the bookfellas themselves and um, just what they are doing to help raise awareness and to raise money and um, David and uh, his friend Raymond Solchizek are hiking across Mull following the footsteps of David Balfour um, from Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped. So um, it's something to check out but before you do that have a listen to um, David in conversation and I'll see you on the other side of this. Hello everyone and welcome to another Scotch Way podcast and I'm joined today by J. David Simons. Hello David. Hi Alistair, nice to be here. And David is um, a writer who I've admired for um, quite some time. Um, We'll talk about your other books later on but I think we'd like to start with your latest novel, um, A Woman of Integrity. Now the last, when I was at the launch of the book, uh, the thing that stuck out for me was the thing that you couldn't talk about. You right. said, well, I can't go into specifics and I'm not going to ask you to go into specifics, right. but what can you talk about in, in terms of a woman um, of integrity? Right, well, um, I suppose I can say that the the idea originally came, as it, as it often does with, with, in fact, always does with my books, where suddenly I'm having a conversation with somebody and they say something and that kind of inspires me to think, oh, I think I could write a novel about that. Okay. And um, so what happened with uh, A Woman of Integrity was that I was down in Brighton um, with some friends, and um, one of whom is uh, is, an, is an actress, um, or actor, and she uh, she's relatively well known mm-hmm. in, um, for, playing, for playing a recurring part in a well-known BBC uh, soap, right? Uh, so I can't mention her name because then you can start tracing, <laughs> tracing dark, looking at IMDb. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, so so she um, she told me this story where uh, where she was asked um, by an American uh, producer 
if she would like to play the part of this very famous woman in a, in a one-woman play. And uh, when they went to, um, to the trustee of this deceased woman, um, when, when, when they went to the trustee to, to have access to the material, this trustee puts a very unusual condition on granting them the right to, to the material. And um, this, this my, my friend, um, who, she was very interested in doing this play because she'd always admired this famous woman for her integrity. Right. And so when she, um, when she was confronted by the trustee, she realizes her own integrity was being challenged. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of liked that idea of, of, um, of yeah, respecting someone for whatever it is. And then when you decide to do something of, uh, like a play or a film about them, that, that uh, characteristic is challenged. So in this case, it was her integrity was being challenged as she was trying to, to do a play about a woman of integrity. So you have these two characters. You have uh, Georgie uh-huh. um, uh, from the 1920s, I think, is when we first meet her. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, she's, uh, born, she's born in 1900. Yeah. All my, all my historical characters are born in 1900. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. Know that. yeah. 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 so Craig Draper, uh, Sue Yeah, they're all born in 1900. Because that way I can remember how old they are as, <laughs> as I'm going through the century. That's a great trick. Yeah. Um, and then in the present day, that character's Laura, and that, that, so it's the similar scenario as you've just set out. Yeah. Um, to me, there's you have you can't help but compare the two women, but also compare the two times. Yeah. Um, how? What What were you trying to say about the comparisons between those two times? Um, well, I think what what was interesting for me was that I don't think I set out to to sort of you know to make a direct comparison per se. Right. But what was interesting for me was because I can't tell you who the famous woman is, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in the in my friend's story, um, I therefore had to create a character that was completely different from. Uh, from that woman, and when it came to the Second World War, um, I had to find her a different occupation, basically. Uh, and uh, in that process, I thought, well, what did, what would a woman do during the Second World War? And there's kind of things like, um, you know, bar- barrage working with barrage balloons, mm-hmm. or nursing, or uh, driving. Um, and what I didn't know was that there were that were there were female pilots, mm-hmm. um, and that and that's that was very interesting for me. And those female pilots were the first, the first women to be paid the same as men for doing the same for yeah. doing the same job. So I suppose what to, to answer your question, what was interesting for me was the um, I suppose the this aspect almost of feminism mm-hmm. that. Uh, People tend to think, you know, we're living, you know, in the modern times or since the 60s, that was a great feminist era. But actually, when you go back to the 1920s with the suffragettes as well, but then also uh, the 1940s and during the war, you find that women, you know, women were doing amazing things as well, especially in the, in the era of flight. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the Amy Johnsons of the world, Amelia Earhart and, and so on. I mean, they were doing, fin- they were doing fantastic things, you know, the, the, the same as men you know, these long distance flights and so on. It's quite incredible. I think the, the Second World War period in particular was fascinating for that because it was out, almost out of necessity, 
you know that they said well we need people to do this who have we got well we've got women who are still yeah. here because the men are away and it happened even um, I know a little bit about football at that time football continued with women's teams that were a lot of people went to watch these games oh, I didn't know that yeah that, I didn't um, know that that, that was because they still wanted their sport when they could get it and now the kind of men of football playing age were, were overseas um, it's so that kind of necessity a bit like whenever um, people encourage any kind of immigration it's usually out of necessity because there are jobs which are needing filled yeah. the problem happens is when those jobs suddenly there's, there's the, the, the um, fight over them and that after the second world war was something that uh, would have happened as well you same know, in the first world war yeah when the women the women went you know working in munitions factories and so on especially I mean even around Glasgow and so on and then suddenly the men came back and wanted the and jobs back. The job, job, and the women are going, wait a minute, we were we actually quite enjoying doing this, you know, sure. working and getting money and, and so on and not having to depend on men. And I think that paved the way, in fact, for, you know, the, 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 the well, was it the suffragette movement or, or at least pushed the suffragette movement forward yeah. and that whole flapper era and all that kind of thing and getting rid of the corsets and all this kind of emancipation of women. So... So yeah, so 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 yeah, so that was one of the interesting things for me. What I discovered from the two years was just discovering um, that that uh, how well George in my in my character from that area, how how an independent, how much of an independent woman she could be. No, I don't want to give away anything here, but Georgie is herself an actress mm-hmm. as a young woman, um, a and. Something there, happens. There is a choice that has to be made, yeah. and this is a, it refers to the, the idea of integrity. Um, was was did you know that was going to be a key point in the book? As in, she makes a certain choice, and then I've got all the rest of her life to 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 deal with. Alistair, to be honest, I have no idea how that came about. I have, I have no idea when I, when I think of it. Where did I when did I get that idea from? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I, I find um, when, as a writer, that um, once I've created my characters, they tend to have a bit of a, of a life of their own. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and so, so what tends, to, a lot of the time, they just tend to do things that I hadn't even imagined just because I put them, I feel that they're, if you create well-rounded characters and you put them in a situation like Georgie at the beginning of this, well, it actually wasn't the beginning, in the, the transition yeah. period between silent screen and the talkies, what would what might happen to her, mm-hmm. you know, that would challenge her her integrity, and so and so. Um, I guess I just that, the situation that comes up in the book is just <laughs> out of my imagination. I hadn't planned it. You put her in that situation. And you say this is what how I believe she would have responded. Yeah, to that. I think that's right. I think that's what makes the characters so strong themselves, um, because every action that the every choice that they make feels like the one that they would have made. It's not like a false, um, you know, sending them down a different way for a different reason. Well, that's good to hear because, I mean, I just think that for me as a, for me as a, a writer, my car- my novels are, are hopefully, as much as they can be, are character-driven. And um, whereas, you know, some people will, you know, for, it will be plot-driven mm-hmm. for some people, especially crime or so on, when there's lots of convoluted plots and plot lines and so on. But for me, the, I've always tried to make them character-driven um, with, with an underlying idea 
that that the sort of thread that goes through the whole novel, and in the, in the in the case of women integrity, it was this idea of, of integrity. That was the sort of the deeper theme. If explicit sense was beautiful, the theme was denial, mm-hmm. and um, so I just so so that's so when I got that story from my friend of mine, and I thought, okay, I'd like to write something about integrity, then create the characters, and then let's let let them run with the novel after that. Well, it's interesting. Well, you have these two central characters who are very strong, um, but you also have a lot of supporting characters who are equally strong. How do you come to approach those? Oh, I'm a great believer in in secondary characters. I really, I really am. I think, I think, um, I think Shakespeare was good at this, and I think no, I'm going to compare myself with Shakespeare. And I think when we look at like the, you know, you talk, you ask people what their favourite movies are, for example. Casablanca usually comes up yeah. high in the list, yeah. and one of the reasons I think for Casablanca coming up in the list is apart from the sort of the the three main characters um, and and the issues that they have to deal with Bogart and um, the guy whose name I never can remember yeah, the actor. actor and sorry French actor isn't he is that right? no that was no that was another of the main that was no the the, the triangle oh the triangle yes yeah, of she had to she had to decide over love and duty yeah. And um, so that was the kind of the main story. But then you had all these great characters, the French, yeah. uh, the French police officer, a, a French captain, yeah. and uh, and I, I can't remember the, the the owner of the of the of the bar of mm-hmm. the bar with these face and the piano player and this yeah. and so that when you were not concerned with the main story, you you enjoyed being with these secondary characters so I think that secondary I try to make all my car- all my sort of other characters interesting as well so when you're not with the main story you're going oh here comes so and so again that's you know? the test of a really great um, secondary character is you feel if the story had followed them you'd have been quite happy to right. follow yeah. you know and see what happened with although them. you have to be careful that you don't get yeah. too distracted sure of course, of course of course yes so yeah I try to make you know I'm not sure who you're well, the ones I'm particularly thinking of are actually in the more present day ones. You've got um, Laura's um, so-called best friend, but also fiercest rival, who has yeah, married the Caroline, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who um, it's that fantastic thing of you know keep your enemies closer yeah. because they are seem to be just competing throughout their lives yeah. for anything for who marries the best, who gets the best roles, or anything like that. Um, and also, um, is it Jack from oh, yeah. Hollywood? Yeah, yeah, Jack. And yeah, so yeah. you've got this, um, I think I described him as being straight off the cover of Vanity Fair, but you could imagine um, this is a, a Hollywood actor who has done very well and who Laura has had in the past a relationship, and I would quite have liked to have known a right. little bit more about that. But it didn't distract me from the main... Uh, narrative at all but I just liked meeting these characters as yeah. you say and finding out a little enough about them that you thought well that's quite interesting yeah Jack, Jack was um, I kind of felt like giving Laura a bit of a hard time and I kind of wanted to have a just to have a look I think, I think <laughs> the chapter's called uh, something interlude or some brief interlude mm. I, can't, I can't remember because uh, I have chapter little yeah, titles yeah. for the modern day section and I just kind of a welcome break I can't, I can't even remember what I called it but it was just um I just felt, you know, I kind of like to let her have a wee bit of fun and a bit, yeah. of, a bit of romance and whatever. So I let Jack come along, and Jack was kind of—he's a kind of cross between, I don't know, Jack Nicholson and 
Johnny Depp and mm-hmm. yeah, it has a kind of Hollywood star quality about yeah, him, but a bit of a recluse yeah. as well. I mean, he doesn't. Yeah, but Daniel Day Lewis, there's a you know, Daniel yeah. Day Lewis sort of you know follows his own path. Yeah, yeah. No, no I like Jack. Oh, maybe that's another novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you? Because another thing that struck me was you got the settings and the references. The setting through the references are spot on. I think. That's maybe easier to do in the present day than it is to go back. Yeah, yeah, to, to yeah, yeah and do absolutely. It. I mean, is, was it a research thing, or did you just have, you know, mentions of the Savoy and what might be on the menu and you know, all of these things? Or was that something you went back and researched? Um, I'm, I've I've always I always said to pick, it's kind of a difficult question to answer because a lot of people say to me, "Oh, you must have done a lot of research," and then I say, "Well, actually, no," and then somehow I feel that I've kind of undermined their sort of um, uh, feelings about the novel but I, I I might be doing myself a, a disservice in saying that I don't do a lot of research I used to be a journalist mm-hmm. and um, I think one of the things I learned from being a journalist was that you learn a subject very very quickly and then you know you take what you can out of it and then you forget to move on yeah. and so I've, I suppose I've got I've, I've acquired sort of quite good research skills without knowing sure. that much um, and so what I tend to do is I tend to look for little just little details mm-hmm. I'm not that I, I mean I know people I mean if, I did an event recently with her, I think we think you were there it was with Sarah Sheridan that's right yeah, yeah and Sarah does, right. she's like a SWAT you know she, yeah. she, she'll immerse herself <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the whole yeah, absolutely. And, and so on whereas I kind of want to get in and out as quickly as I can mm-hmm. and, and in order to do so I ju- I'm looking for just a little detail that will make my reader believe that I've done a lot of research and I think that's exactly what comes ac- well I don't say it comes across that you haven't done the research but by just having a little bit by not kind of going well here's the you know full extent of my research but I don't think Sarah does either but I think she probably has it in the background yeah no no and she does it very well yeah she does it. I mean I, I'm very impressed by, by her work but it seemed to me that you got the, the bits that you did put in were spot on so you got yeah I can believe that this is where um, Georgie would have, have dined and this is who she would have met and this would have been the names of something's great you know like Rollo and it's full in a name yeah I don't know where these come I mean, come from I mean but I think it's also I think we're quite fortunate in the modern era that because we have so much access yeah, to yeah. material sure. you know mm-hmm. film through film and documentary and travel and everything else we kind of um, we, we know a, we, we know a lot and, and then, or, or can imagine a lot I think in the past when people wrote novels for example you know, especially the Russians where you got every single detail yeah, it's the yeah. same with the theatre when you went to the theatre you got every single detail now you can have a very sparse um, stage production because we'll fill in the blanks yeah. and that's kind of what I try to do with my writer with my readers is that I just give them enough um, I mean, you mentioned the Savoy, mm-hmm. right? Now, I could do a lot with the Savoy in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have talked about the the piano bars and the different restaurants and the blah, mm-hmm. whatever. The, and and um, whereas all I had was the was this menu, mm-hmm. which was a real menu. I mean, I actually was able to yeah. sort of Google it and found a menu from 1926 right. or whatever it was supposed well, to be. Well, that's something you just, you know, is yeah. absolutely available now that we yeah, need. Which is fantastic. And once you sort of throw that in, you go, okay, I can imagine the, I can imagine the rest. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my trick, yeah. is I'm just looking for that tiny little bit of information that is unique, you know, as well. So people don't know 
about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of, uh, when I'm teaching this mm-hmm. creative writing, I sort of get my students to write a paragraph or something about arriving in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about it is that whether they've been there or not, they pretty much say the same thing. Ah, right, because they know so much about New York. They know about so much. So whether you've been to New York or whether you have... So, so what you need to do is convince the, your reader that you have been there. So yeah. what you need to find is is that little hook that's different. Yeah. So if I write about skyscrapers, yellow cabs, um, you know, broad avenues, you know, big perspectives, sure. central park, blah, 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 fair enough. But if you write about the the um, the garbage the garbage men hosing the rats off the street at six o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. then suddenly you go, oh, okay, yeah. that's not something I knew about, and that makes me believe that the writer knows what they're talking about. So that's what I'm looking for. That little bit of detail that isn't yeah. widely known, exactly. Uh, which I suppose is, is more difficult to find as well. Yeah, and it's also it. fun. I mean, yeah. it's also fun, and it's great when you find it. You go, oh, okay, I'll use I'll use that. You know. So I mentioned that uh, before we started that my mum has read this book. And when I said I was going to be talking to you, she said, could you ask him, right. was he brought up with sisters? Oh, uh, okay, that's an interesting question. I, I because can follow, yes. Well, the follow-up is, if not, where did they so, so successfully understand a female perspective, frustrations <laughs> and problems with maintaining integrity? Now, she's written almost an essay for me to back up why she feels that this is the oh, case. Oh, well, that's interesting. But, um, so, I mean, let's go with the first thing. How, you know, how did you write from the female perspective? Was that something that you right. Okay, well, it's, a, it's a question I get asked a lot. Right. Um, I've had I've quite an amusing one was when I was with my ex, my ex-partner, <laughs> ironically. Um, she was in the audience and this woman said, oh, you write women so well. You know, uh, your, your part, you know, this must be your partner, your partner must really appreciate that. And I could just look, I looked down at Sophia and she just rolled her eyes. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm, it's not, it's, this is my second um, book where the main mm-hmm. character, Liberation Silly Cam, is another uh, main character's woman. Um, I don't know where it comes from, Alistair. I mean, I, I, um, I, I don't think consciously about it. It's not like I sit down and think, oh, I have, now I'm going to be in some kind of female mode. No. Um, I tend to treat, I mean, I don't, you know, men and women, they're still, whether whatever the gender, they're still, they still uh, suffer from the same universal problems to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I think I would probably shy away from writing a book where, um, there was some very you you know some something was much more um, unique to the female experience than mm-hmm. the men. So I mean maybe a, a female daughter relationship or a, or um, or a um, or a rape or mm-hmm. something like that. I might steer yeah. away from pretending that I would know what that mm-hmm. was like. But I think when it comes to sort of general issues like struggling in a career mm-hmm. and the challenges of the you know the society and so. I think that a lot of, you know, men we experience rejection and we experience this in the same way as, as, as women. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, um, I, I do have a younger sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite a good deal, seven years younger. So it wasn't like I was brought particularly with a sort of, lot of older, seven older sisters mm-hmm. around me. Um, so I don't, I don't know where, 
where it comes from I'm, 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 I think it's great that your mother feels that I've got some kind of in, in, insight into the human into the female psyche well I think but she I feels she's, she's in her I think she's in her 70s now I think she feels that you know some of her dreams and hopes were tempered by her gender mm-hmm. you know did very well at school but there was still the expectation that you know she might want what well, she did want to go and, you know be a mechanic or an engineer but yet even in the way that um, gifts, and I know it still happens today to a different extent, you know, there's gender birthday presents or yeah, when someone is born yeah, and all those things. Um, but I think she felt that a, the frustration and disappointments of, uh, um, of perhaps being a woman in the 20th century, mid part of the 20th century, you seem to have, you know, kind of got straight on, but perhaps you're right, it's just frustrations and disappointments that could happen to anyone, but for other reasons. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, as I said, I, I don't find it difficult to write female parts. I mean, I'm always a wee bit worried when the book comes out, thinking, oh, I'm going to get slated here because, uh, you know, I'm pretending that I know what it's like to mm-hmm. be these women and and so on but I have to say I mean generally it's been a very positive mm-hmm. uh, response to that um, but I, it's, it's a very unconscious um, ability yeah. whatever I don't, I don't sit down and go okay how can I just try and imagine what it must be like for women I don't know I, again it goes back to characters yeah. you know if you know your characters um, then um, they will feel all of these things whether, you know, irrespective of gender, I suppose. But I guess um, if you had, after the conversation that you had with your friend, if you said, right, I really don't want her to be recognised at all, so I'm going to switch and they're both going to be men, it would have been a very different book, I think. Right. Particularly yeah. in the 1920s, I think it would probably have been a very different book. Yeah, yeah. It might have been more difficult to mm-hmm. find um, um, a, a man's integrity challenged in the way that... <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. You know, it's the challenging of... Uh, it's the, the certain assumptions of the, the roles that women should fulfil both then and now that um, would have to be kind of changed com- completely. Yeah, that's a good... That's a, actually, it's an interesting question. I'm, I'm trying to think... Um, yeah, if, if, if could I have written that the same thing from the point of view of two men? Yeah, well, probably there's much more of a sense of entitlement, I suppose, mm-hmm. for the male in those in, in, in those arenas which she was operating, where certainly George was working in, and so it's let their yeah the chances of finding it would have been more difficult to create a situation where their integrity was being was a bit, was was being challenged yeah in, in, in such a way yeah. I'm just thinking of um, there's when when Laura is um, when the, not overlooked but when she gets kind of um, cheated is that the right word when she gets betrayed perhaps is the right word in terms of um, who's going to her role in, in yeah. getting the play put on um, there's almost an expectation from her and I think probably from the reader that yeah, you could almost see this coming, and you know the, the the somewhere along the line she was being used, and I wonder if that would have been the same way. But I don't know. It's just something that occurred to me when uh, uh, I, when I was reading it as well. I mean, the the there is an the, the one of the things where Georgie's integrity is challenged is about whether or not she accepts uh, an honour from the Queen, mm. and 
uh, and I th- so I think that is a kind of a general yeah. thing, you know. That, oh, that could have been yeah. a man, or that could have been a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still, and I think, and it's something I actually feel quite strongly about, just in, in modern day, yeah. about people, you know, accepting you know, pure e- ages. And even the fact that she got to the stage where she was being offered um, um, something from the Queen and an honour shows you the life that she had had. From her starting point to get there has been extraordinary. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your a uh, little bit about other books you did as done as well. The Glasgow to Galilee trilogy, oh, yeah. which I admit I haven't read any of. Oh, okay, well that's a shame. I would have brought, I would have brought that along for you. Um, I, was, I was I was deliberate. I was as I was coming. I think should I bring in Alistair? And I said no. I think he's read. I think he's read them all. No, I haven't. And oh, I okay. Read the Harold, and, okay. Um, well, there's something I need to be, I, I need to remedy that. I think the well, idea of putting reading three. Was just like well, I've got so much stuff to read. Yeah, yeah. E-books no, 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 I just thought I thought in the I thought in the past that yeah, yeah. we might have. No, I can. I make sure you get a copy then. So, but give me a bit of a preview of it then. The Glasgow to Galilee trilogy. Um, well, first of all, it was something I never set out to do. Mm-hmm. Right, I didn't want to write a trilogy, um, so there was that. Um, uh, again, the idea came to me. Uh, a long, long time ago now. I mean, the, the first book is *The Craig Draper*, which came out in two thousand eight, so it's ten. It's almost ten years ago. But I mean, the, I wrote it a long time. Before. I started writing it probably four years before that. Um, that came from the idea from that came from my stepfather mm-hmm. George, who's unfortunately uh, deceased, um, telling me that that uh, he had this he had this uncle who was a a credit draper. Um, and I, I always thought a credit draper was a sort of peddler in the city. You know, it was a thing that the Jewish, um, a lot of the Jewish people, or immigrants who came here did right. uh, when they came to Glasgow in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And um, it's, it was an easy job to do right. um, because there were sort of, you know, Jewish warehouse owners like Goldbergs and so I don't mm-hmm. remember yeah. Goldbergs and yeah, yeah. and so if they could say to someone well look here's here's our goods go and sell it on credit and as long as uh, you pay us before uh, you, you you get your money before you pay us then you can make yourself into you know, a business and it was yeah. really low, low risk for the warehouse owner uh, and my grandfather was a credit draper and yeah I just assumed that they all worked to in Glasgow, yeah, or around Glasgow, which made sense. But my stepfather George, he told me that he had this uncle who was a credit draper in the Highlands, right? And so I thought, well, that must have been a very odd experience, mm-hmm. um, being a sort of you know Orthodox Jew, perhaps you know with the the, the garb and the the long side looks, perhaps I don't mm-hmm. know, yeah, how they dra- how dra- you know, turning up in some little highland village trying to sell, you know, aprons and shirts and so on. Sure. And so so I thought I just thought that clash of cultures was very interesting. Yeah. As soon as I heard that, I thought, oh that I'm I'm really that could make a great story. Mm-hmm. Is the clash of the sort of the you know, Jewish and Scottish culture. Sure. And um and I guess probably psychologically the reason was uh, it was gave me an opportunity to explore my own identity in in in, uh, in that context, because to be honest, I think all novels, writers, no, so all novels are about themselves. Yeah, 
ultimately, even though they don't, they will never admit it or they don't, they don't know it at the time. They're basically writing about themselves, but right. just finding a vehicle in which to do it. And so this, my vehicle is a credit draper. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> the Scottish culture and the Jewish culture actually, there wasn't so much of a clash of identities. There's because there's quite a lot, there's quite a lot in common. Right. Okay. You know, there's sort of, you know social justice and education and you've, you know just the violin and the herring and the music. So I actually had to struggle to find some kind conflict. of conflict. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, there's just going to be all this great stuff. You know, anti-Semitism and the mm-hmm. islands and you know the, they were they were treated really badly and blah. No, it wasn't like that at all. The rest was actually quite. The, the cultures kind of meshed quite well, and I think still do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so that was a bit of a struggle for me to find a conflict there. And then uh, part of the, the it, within the credit Draper, the main character Avram, he had an uh, uh, adopted sister, or he was adopted into family, and Celia was the sister. And um, she was involved in the rent strikes and right, okay. you know Red Clyde side and and uh, birth control mm-hmm. movement in Glasgow in the nineteen twenties because Glasgow was quite an advanced sort of uh, um, sort of politically yeah sure um, then for the labour movement and she was just a sort of character in the in the credit Draper and I um, I met this publisher in an event down in London who said to me who read the book and said. Well, I'm to Celia, right? And I thought, I don't know. I didn't really, I didn't really have a lot of, give her a lot, too much thought up beyond the novel. Yeah. Unlike somebody like J.K. Rowling, who is sort of filling cabinets of, of um, her characters. And, um, but, and he said, well, that's a shame because, you know, the, 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 Jew, you know, the, the Jews were quite involved in, um, in you know, in socialism in, mm-hmm. the, in the 1920s. And there was a lot of conflict there because, um, you know, they were thrown out of Russia, um, you know, the pogroms and so on. Yeah. And then suddenly Russia became this sort of, you know, hotbed of revolution and, and the, the, the October Revolution and so on. And um, and so the, the Jews became quite conflicted about that. You know, here was the country that sort of threw us out, but now it's this bastion of socialism and communism. And so, uh, so anyway, so that inspired me to write about, about that, about mm-hmm. Celia. And then... Um, I can't remember where the trilogy thing came from, but uh, but but yeah, she ends up going to Palestine at the end of the novel. Right. And so then I thought, well, I better finish that off and with a novel about Palestine, yeah. yeah, about Palestine and the and um, the sort of the land issues and so on in Palestine nineteen twenties after the Balfour Declaration, which is just a hundred years. It's going to be a hundred years this year. Yeah which is going to raise some awareness of the whole issue again and so on. So yeah, so that was my, that was my trilogy that I didn't want to write and uh, I, I ended up writing, basically. So, um, and, and in between was, it was Exquisite Sense of What's yeah. Beautiful. That, that was so possibly a mistake. What do you mean? It was a mistake. Don't to do that. Do the book in between. Yeah, it was kind of. I did the first two and then, and then I went to Exquisite Sense because that had been that was written, and then I mm-hmm. went back to Land Agent, and that might have been better to do it the other way around. Okay, that's interesting. That's what happens. Yeah. I, I remember at the time um, when we were talking about uh, an Exquisite Sense of what is beautiful, is that you'd said that I think it had been written. You had it written and. 
but people we couldn't get anyone to publish it. Was that right? Um, I might I might be misremembering this. I'm trying. I might I might be for just forgetting it. <laughs> I, I, the the original idea for Exquisite Sense went went way back. Yeah, I uh, think maybe that was it. Maybe it was one of the first things that you. Yeah, I, I wrote. I, I, got, I wrote the first. The first chapter was a first, was a short story, but I think I wrote something like ninety. I was still in Japan at the time, ninety four or something. Okay. Like um, and then it was a public. It was actually published as a short story in London Magazine, I think in about two thousand and two or something. Um, so I'd, I'd, had, I'd started on it years and years ago and mm. I'd been rewriting it and rewriting it and um, um, so I think it was just that it was ready yeah you know it was ready at that time and then the land agent which was the third novel on the children that wasn't that was written at that time so I just brought out and Sarah Hamlet Saraban she was she loved it she was yeah. very keen to publish it so it's. I mean, it was. I mean, one of the, the fact that it would just stated over such a long t- period of time. I think is. I think. I mean, I'm very proud of that novel. Yeah, I think yeah. because, because it took me such a long time, or it was as I said, it was, it was developed over such a long period of time that I feel it has got real depth. Yeah. To it. Well, I mean, you know, as you know, it's one of my favorite books of the last ten years. I just think, think it's fantastic. I um ten years before. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, there's still some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly enough, you know, you've said that when you did um, the credit draper, then someone said, "What happened to this character? You've got to write more about it." I still think what happened to the water wheel, which is the book in an exquisite sense of what is beautiful. Right. which is being written and I still think well what happens with that I'd like to read that book it's interesting that you've got every book we've spoken about so far that there's been a feeling that you know you could have gone elsewhere with them which is good I suppose it means you've got lots of scope for, for stuff already there well the problem the thing with the water wheel was that the water wheel is a novel with, yeah. the, within the Exquisite Sense of What is Beautiful and it's the novel that made the main character, uh, Edward, uh, famous yeah. uh, at the time. And um, <laughs> uh, I felt, that, well, the, the problem with the one really was that Edward, well, he became this famous, he was a famous writer and this was his great novel. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that I would have to write this great novel. I mean, there was, there was the, 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 as you know, the, the original pattern for the book was... Um, that there was three strands. There was Edward. There's Edward in the present. Mm-hmm. There's Edward in the past, and then at the same time there were extracts from the novel, The Water Wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I. mean, I think originally I wrote it uh, in the past, and then it went to the present, uh, and it's, and then it had the the novel, The Water Wheel, intertwined with it, and then I separated it all out, and then I entwined them all together and then uh, as, as as it ended up with the novel at the end with yeah. the extracts at the end but I felt I felt that since this was his famous novel I was going to have to make it into this great novel which I, did. I thought well I can't I can't I don't know if I can't really do that so I try, I just tried to shorten it down and give you extracts otherwise so again just show enough that you could believe that this yeah. was a yeah, but I, I, I thought, I can't, I can't sustain this. I'm going to have to make a Booker Prize winning <laughs> oh, yeah. novel. Uh, so I did I did what I could with the, with the Waterloo. I, I, I mean, I also, lo- I loved 
that hotel where the mm-hmm. novel takes place, the Fuji Hotel in Japan. And again, the, the, the weirdest thing with that was that when I was living in Japan, I lived there for seven years, and one of the very first trips that I did um, out of Yokohama and Tokyo, where I was living, uh, was to go into the countryside to Hakone, which is a sort of resort by lake and so on. And I was coming home that evening um, on, the, on the bus to the, it was the bus to the railway station, and we were going round the hillside, mm-hmm. and we just turned into this village, and there was this hotel in the village, um, and it's just it's a really old-fashioned Japanese hotel with the sort of the curving roofs and sort of balconies and all the the lanterns and everything. And it was just being lit up at night, and I just got this really really strong feeling about this yeah. this place. I just thought this is there's something that's really important about this building right. for me, and I don't know what it is. It was like some kind of I know kind of premonition or deja. I think it was deja. It was a deja vu. It was like, right. I know. I know this building. There's right. something about this building, and I went there. I stayed there a couple of times. Um, it was actually. It turned out that I didn't know anything. I didn't know what the building was. Right. And then when I went back to Japan, uh, to Japan, to Tokyo, I asked my friends, and they said, "Oh, this was the first hotel that was built for foreigners in Japan in the 1880s. Right, wow. Uh, and and it, it was, when I say for foreigners, it was so that, you know, there was toilets, you know, mm-hmm. you know Western-style toilets there and beds, you know, as opposed to futons and sure. so on. And so as a result, lots of the famous people that came to Japan would stay in this hotel because it was the only one that would allow them these kind of comforts. Mm-hmm. So you had... As I think it mentions in the book, you had like William Holden, Helen Keller, Margaret Thatcher, John Lennon. I mean, they all, they all stayed, they all stayed at this hotel. And um, when I went to stay there, um, the price—I don't know if I've told told you this. Do you think so? No, but the price of a room was the num- was the number of years and dollars since the hotel had been founded. So it was like about one hundred and thirteen. Dollars or something a room, which was because it was eighteen. It was eighteen. It was nineteen ninety three. It was one hundred thirteen years since the hotel had been founded. So yeah, so that so um, so yeah, that was that was where the exquisite sense came from. I just came from the bit. I came from the building. The building itself. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I've always been interested in this. I've I've always been interested in this this theme of denial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and 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 just. Just the United States and the Tommy bomb. I just think there is this real disconnect between, you know, killing two hundred thousand people in within two days. I mean, it's an absolute. You know, you if you, you couldn't do that. I mean, so you could do yeah. that, but you, I hope not. But you, you couldn't really get away with that now. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's never been any kind of reflection about mm-hmm. it the Americans just do not reflect on it at all I yeah mean, I mean they try they've tried to have exhibitions about it and all this kind of thing and the, we, the America stands up and talks about everybody else's being an axis of evil and North Korea are using you know with their nuclear weapons but actually the America's the only country that's ever done it so they've like collectively culturally yeah, you know, they're just completely not even don't even think about it. Yeah, and um, and and the, and and the li- I mean the lies. I mean, the, if you asked an American now, you'd say, well, you know, why did it? You know, why did they do it? And they say, well, it saved 
a million lives is just not true. Mm. It's just not, not true. It's like, I mean, it saves, it does, did save uh, lives in that, you know, the war didn't continue and if it yeah. had continued, you know, maybe another 20 or 30,000 people would have been killed, but not, not 200,000 Japanese. And um, so, yeah, so so there's that, that element of, uh, of denial but I also think that we also as human beings we're also in denial yeah especially we're in denial about death usually yeah, that sure. we're going to die somehow in the end of all of this mm-hmm. so that's that were the two th- that were the two themes really because the that's what I thought worked so well in it was there's the kind of there were big themes being addressed but there was also incredibly personal and you know Beautiful one-to-one relationships that were being examined yeah, as well. No, that was that was yeah. That I thought that worked well. I think that's important. I mean, I don't want to sort of. I think I don't want to blame. Say, you know, America. You know, it's terrible. You're you're not you're in denial about this because it's a very human. It's a very human frailty. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, so absolutely. I wanted to show in, in Edward that, despite the fact that he was the mouthpiece for. For you know, uh, decrying the, uh, America for what it had done, um, that he too was in denial, you know, and he's had his personal denials about his violence in his own life. So, um, so that was the that was the th- what fascinated what fascinated me about about that book. Well, I highly recommend it to anyone listening. Absolutely, as I do, a woman of integrity as well. Yeah, I was I was a bit concerned about you reading Women of Integrity because I know you you really enjoyed. Uh, uh, because it said so what's beautiful and I thought oh he's not gonna this is going to be a bit lighter for him and, and he's not gonna it's not <laughs> it, it's I don't know no. I just thought oh, I thought you might find a bit more a bit more frivolous than my previous I just well whether you meant it or not there's a I think there's a just there's it's packed with really interesting um, areas to examine and I think what really is at the heart of that is this comparison um, between what it was like to be a woman in the 1920s and what it's like to be a woman in the present day and the the things that are similar and also the things that are very different right. and in there I, I find, that's what I find it really interesting okay, that's, that's interesting did your mother have anything else to say on the subject? Um, that was the main <laughs> thing I think she just wanted to say um, how, uh, you know, how did you... Uh, manage to get into their minds and then she went off to talk about I mean, basically about her her own experience how, right. um, you know oh, she, well. she starts off by saying women then talking about in the 50s and 60s were considered as handmaidens to the male population yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now you was wanting to write the credit draper the kind of inspiration to write or was it were you already writing were you already because you studied law and then you were a journalist after no 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 I studied law and then I um, I, I quit right. I gave up law when I was 24 okay. the ripe old age of 24 and um, I went travelling for three years right. basically because I, I just gone through my whole law thing you know school university law very very quick I was a partner in a law firm in Edinburgh by then and uh, they all happened to be too young really mm-hmm. so I wanted some time so I took three years off and then I came back and I I uh, I was an administrator for the Cyrenians, which is a charity for the single homeless mm-hmm. in North in, in um, West London. Uh, ironically, uh, in North Kensington, in right. North Kensington, which is where all this grateful mm-hmm. tower thing has happened. Um, so I was working with Royal 
Barrow Kingston, Chelsea, with with um, the with the homeless, right? Because they were giving us funding to provide housing for them, and also Hammersmith with the Labour government, which was actually a Labour council, which yeah. was actually uh, they were harder to work with than the right. Tories. But I think the Tories just felt very confident uh, in the borough right. and so they were quite happy to throw money at us which was great mm-hmm. um, and after that I was I lived in a kibbutz for in the show for well in a period of 10 years I was there for about 6 years and uh, I went to Japan where I was where I taught at university there mm-hmm. and then I came back here and I was in journalist and new media all this in, the internet and the mobile phone stuff and uh, and then I started writing but I, I always I always felt that I would write mm-hmm. but I wasn't like writing yeah so I mean I you know I listened to other writers talking and said, oh you know ever since I was a child I was writing diaries and mm-hmm. journals and I won a prize for this and all this kind yeah. of yeah and none of that I wasn't doing any I was not even reading when I was growing up and and um but I always felt that I would write mm-hmm. eventually, and but I needed to wait until I had some kind of life experience yeah. in which to write. And so I have great admiration for young writers who are you know able to write in their early their twenties and so on. I felt I had to wait until I had some kind of wisdom or something sure. that um, I could trans that I could put onto the page. Maybe that goes. You know, we're talking about research earlier on. You said, well, I don't um, appreciatively go out and research but perhaps you know your life experience the research is in there no no absolutely absolutely in fact the novel the novel that I'm writing now I've I've stopped because I need to go and live it (laughs) oh interesting then I'll come back and write it Uh, can you talk anything about that or is that Um, yeah 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 I mean it's if if I'm not sure if I'm going to I always say this Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if I am going to write another novel Mm mm-hmm Although I'm a third of the way through right. this novel that I'm not going to write, um, and it's about it's about a it's about a writer who uh, <laughs> it's about a writer who is has been and this is the, I, I've spoken to Sarah Band and Graham <laughs> about this and I told them this this happened way before anything that with um, with uh, Graham McRae Burnett and uh, his bloody project. But it's about a writer who gets shortlisted for the Booker. Right, okay. Well, uh, and, he's, and he's on his way to the ceremony. And, uh, and if he wins, he's decided that instead of this usual speech about, you know, thanking everybody and everything, he's just going to take his revenge on the whole publishing industry <laughs> and, and all the people that feel that have rejected him and not supported him. So, right. Because he just thinks that's the truth. You know, he wants to be authentic. It's about authenticity, I suppose. Yeah. It's about being, he wants to be authentic, and on his way to the ceremony, all these things happen to him, you know. So he cuts open his hand, his son gets arrested, he assaults a fan, he's, all this kind of thing is happening to him on the way to the ceremony. So that's the kind of the front story is this okay. kind of you know, it's the usual, you know, on his way to do something and all these obstacles in his way and all this kind of thing but then there's this backstory about his life and how it's led him to this point and, and it's about being a writer and, um, but he's come to this really crucial crossroads in his past right uh, where he's going off to on some spiritual kind of search because he's completely messed up his marriage and his career and all this kind of thing and um, 
I'm stuck there. Right. I kind of okay. feel I, I'm going to do the same now. So I'm going to set off for about a year now and travel and go on That's a great quest. <laughs> and then I feel, I feel I can write the next part. That's of the research. That's so that's research. my. It's not even, I don't even know if it's research. I'm just, I just feel like I, sh- I need to live that space. Yeah. That kind of quest, spiritual quest kind of thing. I don't have huge sort of ideas about what I'm going to do, but I just. I just feel that I, I was trying to figure out why am I not writing this next section and I'm thinking, right, okay. I think I need to live it first so that's the plan um, I'm interested in saying that you know he stands up and has a go at publishing and, and you know the people in it um, at the moment it does seem to, to me that it's almost more difficult than ever to, to not just get published but um, to get your book out there into the public consciousness um, yeah. I mean is that something that bothers you or are you found difficult um, well there's two I think there are two aspects to it for me um, there's the and I'm sure it's the same with lots of lots of uh, it doesn't have to be writers necessarily yeah um, so there's the there's the domain of just writing and being a, just wanting to write mm-hmm. and to create something and I mean essentially that's really what's important to me yeah um, but then there's the other part of it which is getting you know getting your book out there and getting it read and um, well getting it published as well uh, and that's that's kind of secondary for yeah. me yeah but at the same time I'm not going to deny that that has is has you know I'm not saying it's not important to me, um, and, but I don't I don't like what it does to me either. I feel I feel that it brings out sort of ego and je- jealousy or you know professional envy or you know frustrations and why isn't this happening to me? Why isn't that? And I don't really like yeah, that sure. part of it. I, I don't like what it does to me. So I constantly have to remind myself of the first part, yeah. which is what you know. Which is really is really about the writing, um, but uh, but yeah, but but obviously you know you kind of feel that you'd like some kind of recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm more I'm more interested in. Um, I mean, I I think I probably sold about twenty thousand books. I would say for all of them no. together. Um, certainly, Exquisite Sense did did well. I think that was about twelve thousand or thirty thousand, I think maybe the others maybe about seven thousand, I'm mm-hmm. not, not sure. Um, which is pretty which is yeah. not bad. No, it's not absolutely. bad. I mean it's not it's not it's never not gonna make you a living, mm-hmm. that's for sure. I mean I think you need to sell about thirty thousand of one book. Yeah. To just to scrape by, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and I'm and, and I'm pr- I'm pleased with that. Yeah. I'm pleased with that. Um, and I'm I'm more I'm more interested in if I was going to have any kind of success I'm more interested in about in about things that it would give it would give me like one of the best things that ever happened to me through my writing was was I I, I was awarded a Robert Louis Stevenson fellowship mm-hmm. and that allowed me to go and write in France in Robert Louis Stevenson's um, this hotel where he, where he used to hang out when he was younger mm-hmm. and um, I was paid to go yeah. and write in this beautiful place mm-hmm. for a month. And, and, and surrounded by you know all this kind of 
all this uh, the energy, I suppose, of all these other people that had been there and so on. And I just loved that. That was that was really the reward that I wanted more more than anything. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I kind of I, I suppose it's I'm not very sure how to call that. I don't know whether I want more to my profile as a writer to be recognised so that will give me opportunities like that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think that's something, as you say, it's not just writing. I think it happens in music. I think it happens in art. Anything where, you know, you are producing, in a commercial sense, a product, but the way that that is, again, a terrible term, but consumed has changed so dramatically in the last, you know, decade or more that um, you almost can't go and say, I'm going to be a writer and sell. You probably never could do that and sell an easy amount of books, but certainly there was more of an expectation that that was a possible career, whereas I think you're right, it's people create whatever art they do, and it's the opportunities that may come around from that that may be more realistic. In, in terms of moving forward well the, the, I mean I think I also think if you're writing what the kind of stuff that I'm writing which is sort of, I suppose and I'm, air quotes air here quotes, yeah. on there, air quotes there, alert yeah. uh, literary fiction um, there's just less and less space for it it's yeah. incredible um, and so it's a really big problem I mean I was listening to Mar- Martin Amos who was talking not so long ago about you know how he's when he started out Basically, I mean, of course, he was the son of a famous novelist. Yeah. But I think it also, I think, applied to other writers mm-hmm. at the time. Which is basically, he wrote a book, sent it to his publishers, and then they did, they printed it and sent, you know, put it out there. And he didn't do anything. Yeah. He's now he's got to go out and he's got to do these book tours and he's got to do all these festivals and all these interviews and all this kind of thing. And he thinks that that's it's going to go back to the original situation where. You just where people that are writing literary fiction, they're either going to be nurtured by publishers or not, because that space that's out there now for yeah. you know festivals and and uh, you know media and all that kind of thing is being taken up by um, you know celebrity, mm-hmm. uh, you know cookbooks and whatever yeah, else, and, see, and yeah. it's been taken up by crime, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not I'm not saying that crime isn't good fiction or anything like that but as a genre crime pays in fiction crime pays. Yeah. no it does I mean it's they've yeah. got their own fe- I mean in Scotland there's their own festival yeah. if you go to other festivals they're taking up lots of mm-hmm. space there um, and it's increasingly difficult for people who are writing literary fiction to get into these places now and I, I mean I can tell you straight off that um, if you speak to someone like Bob Bob McDevitt mm-hmm. um, who, who does he does play in Scotland, but he also does high ride. I mean, he'll tell you. He says, you know, I can, I can get to literary writers of literary fiction. You know, well known. I mean, I, I, I know this. I know as a fact. I won't mention names, and um, you know, I put them on the program, and they'll get twelve people. Yeah, I had, I had this I write again. I won't name names, but two of who I would consider, you know, legendary Scottish literary writers, and there was about you know twenty. Yeah. In the room. Yeah. and then you'll but you'll get um, you know James Nochte or you'll mm-hmm. get uh, Mary whatever Mary Berry Mary Berry or, Berry or, or whatever and they'll they'll pack the, they'll pack the place out mm-hmm. and um, 
And so if you're a festival organiser, well, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? I say, well, I can have these two writers. It's going to cost me, you know, £300 and put them up and a chair and all this kind of thing. It's going to cost me, it's, you're not going to get any money for it. Or I can get a celebrity chef with some book out or, or uh, whatever and, you know, they'll make me money. Yeah. And so it's, it's very hard. I mean, Pit Lockery, I think, was, I think it was Pit Lockery um, Festival last year. They had no fiction really yeah it was just non-fiction and celebrities so well on names so it's it's very hard to to get into it's very hard to get yourself into anything now it's you know the same with, I mean the, the same applies to the bookstores yeah, yeah absolutely you know absolutely. it's the same applies so um, so what was um, Martin Amos's point of course he will be one of the people that gets signed up by book festivals here there and everywhere but his point is that Publishers will just support. Well, they're saying well, you, they, they, off, off the back of all the maybe very hardback cookbooks. Well, so, like, yeah. I guess I mean well, there's no point. I mean it's like well, if I can't get into these places, right? If mm-hmm. I can't get into bookstores and I can't get into festivals and everything else, well, where's your where are you going to get your literary fiction? Yeah, from basically, and or where are you, you know, and and so he thinks that they will just go back to, you know. You, you, Publishers will have to just take a chance and nurture, and nurture mm-hmm. you, but and, and push you out some other way. I don't know. I don't know how. But that's the. I mean, that's the other thing that's happening now is that writers aren't being nurtured. You'd be very hard pressed to tell me a writer now, contemporary writer, mm-hmm. that's that has the same stature as Marnie, as Ian Rankin, um, Ian McEwan, Mishiguro. Um, yeah. People, where where are they? You know. Where are they? Yeah. They're not because they're not being nurtured. There's nobody's being nurtured. You're being, you're getting a big advance. If you're lucky, you might get a big advance for a first novel. They'll make a big splash with you, mm-hmm. and everything else. And then the second one, they're not particularly. Yeah. Interested. So the they last ones they could maybe think of was Zadie Smith, Monica Ali, that kind of generation. And then, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and, I mean, you'd be hard. I mean, who's who are the you know Hilary Mantel maybe, mm-hmm. um, but. Who I mean in Scotland, you'd be you'd be hard pressed to say who I mean. There's Ali Ali Smith, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I Kennedy, but again from from yeah. going for a, a while. Yeah, James Robertson maybe, but I'd be I'd, who, who's being who's being nurtured. Mm-hmm. So unless you, you know, do get the kind of breakthrough that Graham Craig achieved by getting shortlisted. Yeah, I mean that well, stood out because it was so unusual. Yeah, I mean, and he he would, I mean, I mean, it's a great book. I mean, yeah. I, Sarah sent it to me before it came out, and I said to her straight away. Yeah. I said, That's I said to Graham, I said, I said you'll be shortlisted for the Saltire for this straight off. I didn't realize the book, mm. but I mean, I th- it is a great book, and but it also had a great, you know, the fact that it was a crime, it was being marketed as crime, yeah. which is which I don't think it is no a novel. But, but that made it stand out. Mm-hmm. The fact it was a small publisher made it stand out. There was a lot of things that were that were working there um, that allowed that to happen. And Graham will be, you know, he will be recognised. His, his literary career is assured for the rest of his life now. Mm-hmm. I think, and rightly so, he's a good, he's a yeah. good writer. Um, and I liked um, *Disappearance of Adele Bedoe as well. I liked yeah. that very much. Absolutely. Um, but apart from that, I don't know. I don't and know. I don't. I don't know where the right. Nobody's being 
nurtured. No, you know. um, and I think where they were finding a home were uh, smaller publishers, independent publishers, and as they, you know, get less and less, then that, the chances will be less and less there as well. You know, someone who maybe could um, break through and sell you know, even a couple of thousand and a small publishers may then have been picked up and, you know, taken elsewhere. But um, I think even that's getting more difficult. I mean, if you look, there was a time, there was a thing uh, 10 years ago or something where they were trying to, I don't know, it was a marketing thing or whatever, but there was a thing where people like Alan Bissett and mm-hmm. Rog Glass and um, Laura Marnie, I mm-hmm. think, there was a kind of class of something or other I can't yeah. remember it was coming out of the Emlet course yes but the, I don't know I mean Rogers I mean you know they're, they're not being nurtured I don't think I mean Alan is I don't know he's more politicals and plays and plays, and and plays. Rogers doing his academic stuff um, yeah I mean there's not there's no there's no generation that seems to be nurtured mm-hmm. um, by, by publishers and I think that's across the board I mean I just I, yeah. I think that's it's a, it's, a, it's a marketing thing it's basically it's much easier to take a new young new write, writer make him or her the next best thing put a lot of money in it market it you know to the hilt uh, they'll have a big hit and then that's it they might give them a second novel but if they haven't if it, and the second novel tends not to you know it's always the, the difficult novel anyway but it tends not to outsell the first one and that's the end of it and then you yeah. know let's move on to the next debut smash kind of thing yeah because the new the, the idea of the new yeah. is easier to uh, promote than and I, I mean I I, I I mean I'm sure you know lots of people too I mean I know lots of writers who've had really good first you know first novel deals and that's it yeah They're, that's it you know and, and um and that's, I mean, I've never had that. Right. <laughs> Is he speaking jealously and full of resentment and envy? I've, ne- I've never had that. Um, but I know, I know people that have had it. And, and when, they, and when they, they get dropped, it's quite a big disappointment of for them. You know, whereas I don't have that disappointment because I've never had it. Well, <laughs> I've, just, I mean, I've just remained in this even, even keel. Self-deprecation aside, yeah. though, but what... It's a real shame because writing, like any other discipline, you know, it's, it's a craft. You get better at it. You work at it. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're no, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you're you're losing all these potentially amazing novels and stories because people have been. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very. I think it's very frustrating. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm again. You'd be hard pressed to find somebody that you f- would feel that they're, mm-hmm. you know, that their career has been has been nurtured. Well, you know, you said you you weren't sure how I, I would. Um, a think about um, a woman of integrity, but it's just so well written, David. So that you know, if something is as well written as that, no matter what the story is, you know, I think you're going to capture uh, people of good readership. Yeah, but it's but it's not getting out there. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, you know, it's got. I mean, I, I get it's about uh, an appreciative readership yeah. for the ones who do. Yeah, read no, I mean, uh, thank you, but it's about it's about discovery. Yeah, basically. And and oh, you ju- and also just need a bit of luck. Mm-hmm. You just need a bit of luck as well. And um, and I think everybody will tell you that. I mean, again, you know, actors or musicians mm-hmm. or whatever, you just have to be in the right place at the right time, or the right person picks up the book, and you know, they they, they have a cousin who's 
this in the film business or the this or that and it just whatever yeah. it just it just um, there was a novel recently that came out well it, had, it came out a long time ago um, but it was re it was rediscovered by um, Ian McEwan I'm trying to think what it was again it was about this it was a university lecture in the it's 1950s I can't remember right I can't, remember, I can't remember the name of it but, but again it was Ian McEwan came across this and I think he mentioned it in some just unpassing in the radio mm-hmm. or he wrote an article about it that included it and suddenly everybody was buying this was buying this book um, I think the writer was, was uh, unfortunately had since passed away but you just you, don't, you just need that little bit of a of a of a lucky break um, and I mean uh, without trying without sound trying to sound you know boastful or anything I mean I, I think that you know some couple of my some couple of my novels um, are of a you know I'm proud of them yeah. I would be you know I think they, they wouldn't be undeserved if they got some kind of you know advancement mm-hmm. in, in the public eye or something but you just need you know how, how are you going to get people to discover it yeah. you know how are you going to get uh, bookshops to put it at the front or, or whatever it's very, it's very very hard you know very hard. Well, I hope we've not left everyone on a downer, but I think that's a complete... <laughs> okay, okay, well, let's, uh, let's, 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 should we finish in a more positive... Yeah, well, let's go back to, I mean, your initial point. You said there's two stages of being a writer and a writer... Just um, give up now. Just, well, there's anybody <laughs> listening to this podcast who thinks they might take some kind of... Yeah. Yeah. No, it's hard, it's hard. There, it it sounds like this holiday of spiritual enlightenment is well needed. <laughs> But it's, but it's, I mean, people shouldn't have any kind of yeah. uh, uh, illusion. And the funny thing is that, you know, if you're lucky, you even if you, if you do get published, even if you're lucky, you know, and, you know, and sell 500 copies, you know, that's, that's quite a lot. Yeah, that's right. You know, you'd be surprised mm-hmm. how, you know, yeah, how few, few copies oh, yeah, people, people sell, even well-known Writers. Yeah. I mean, what disappointed me a bit about J.K. Rowling with with our venture into, um, you know, um, what was it, Robert Galbraith, was it? Well, oh, which did the, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Was the, the, the Cuckoo's Call or something? Oh, I can't Something like that. Yeah, Cuckoo's Was that really, despite the fact that she had a major publisher for it, despite the fact that that major publisher had got her lots of big reviews, you know, you know, um, Blurbs for the jacket and everything. Mm-hmm. It was. It, I think she'd sold like four hundred or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, and then as soon as somebody you know leaked the fact that this Galbraith was Jake Rowling, it's took it took yeah. off. But I really wanted her to know. Yeah. What it was like. I mean, she, she hasn't suffered for her art. But, yeah. But I really wanted her to know or be reminded how difficult it mm-hmm. is, even when you've got that kind of marketing clout behind you. Yeah. It was people. You know, it's about discovery. I remember um, at an event with um, James Kelman, and he said that year, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, um, he said I sold fifteen thousand pounds worth of books. That yeah, was it yeah, for the yeah. year. And you yeah, know, yeah. I think, well, there you go. No, he's quite bitter. Yeah. About about that. Yes. About that, and he's he and he's one of the successful ones. Mm. He's one. He's you know, and 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 right. I mean, I, I don't I don't blame him. I think he gets blamed a bit. For his bitterness, <laughs> well, it was quite upfront about it. I know, but I think people think, oh, I think when he won the, you know, when the Saltire or something, he gave mm-hmm. some kind of speech that was 
bit of a downer as well. Yeah. Give people give him a hard time, but oh, well, actually, if he's right, it's it's very hard to get that space. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Again, it's across. You know, the movies are the same. You yeah. Know, you go to the movies and you think, well, how how is that doing so well? And then this lovely movie here is is not. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Word of mouth. Uh, uh, certainly for somebody like me who's not going to have a big marketing uh, budget behind me. That's mm-hmm. that's one. People like your mother. Yes, exactly. People like your mother that recommends to a book group and they like it and then they recommend to somebody else and then suddenly there's a lot of book groups doing it. Yeah. Book groups are like, you know, 10 people. Yeah. And then suddenly you've got a little bit of momentum and things, people are talking about it and that's, that's pretty much what you can rely on. Well, David, I think that's the perfect place to finish. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you have been listening to the latest Scotch Way podcast with J. David Simons. It's always a pleasure um, to chat to David and I hope you found something of interest um, there. As yet, I can't tell you who we're going to have on next, but as we always say, it will be someone completely different. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Mm-hmm.